want to just continue and encourage our youth that are here today. I believe this message is going to speak to them predominantly. Uh, but also, as I prepared this message, I, I was thinking about those within our body who are single, who are not in a married relationship, uh, whether they're single with parents or single, uh, uh, whether they're single parents or without, without children. Uh, throughout this marriage um, re and relationships and sexuality series, I, I specifically planned for certain messages to be spoken to speak to the whole body. And I believe this message is going to speak to them in a very special way. However, for us, I believe also we're going to get some nuggets that are very real, things that we need to apply to our lives right now, um, as well as hopefully give us some perspective about the millennial generation. I think we need to have some perspective about our role as Generation X, right, or the baby boomer generation. What is our role today? And so I hope that um, as, as you hear this message that, um, that you will grab the nuggets that God has for us. Would you join me in prayer as we begin right now? Papa, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving me a voice to declare your word. But most importantly, your anointing to declare it and hear it and receive it. Father, thank you that we will be, have ears to hear as we move forward today in your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Okay, so we talked about marriage and family, and today I like to focus on, on again, on that topic, speaking to our young people. And again, these principles, I believe, will, will speak to our lives, but I believe also will maximize the potential of our young people and those who are single today. And this is something that we want the church to hear, right? We want, just like we want the married folk and, and our elderly and our youth, we want them to hear this message very clear. They matter, right? They matter to us. If they're single and believe that God's called them to be single for the rest of their lives, they matter to us. If they're single looking to be married, they matter to us. If they're a youth or, or just young, 11, 10, 9, 8, doesn't matter how old, we want to communicate you're sacred and you matter at every stage in life. And what they feel and what they think and what they experience matters. It matters. And the moment that their voice doesn't matter, our church is unhealthy. Are you with me? Because as Pastor Laura says over and over again, there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit, right? The God that's moving Ben's life is the God that's moving Mitchell's life and in Gideon's life, right? It's the same God. And so we have to figure out ways, practical ways, in Sundays and Wednesdays and what we do that communicates kids matter, elderly matter, married folk matter, right? Young adults matter. We have to think about practical ways where we give a voice, where we give a platform to every voice. Now, I'd like to say that what I plan to do today is simply give pastoral advice. This is not a message where I necessarily focus on a single portion of Scripture. Today what I want to do is pour out my heart, right? As I talk to singles, as I talk to people who are not married, and to young people, and I talk to you from another perspective, those who are married and those who are not the millennial generation, my desire, my hope is just to give you pastoral advice. I'm not just going to focus on one scripture, but just pour out my heart. And I, and I want you to know where this is coming from. It's coming from my personal experience as a Christian for 22 years. It's coming from my personal victories and advice that's coming from all of my failures. When I was single, and I, I was trying to figure out what relationships look like and so forth. And even now as a married man. It's coming from the informed position of hindsight. How many of y'all understand that hindsight 2020 is for real? Right? 
There are things that we can see now that we didn't see then. And we could say that in many ways, there were certain circumstances we wish we could do over because we have information we didn't have before. We should also have a heart that says, oh, I wish I can tell this to somebody before they go through what I went through. I wish I can share this with someone, right? So I, it, it comes from a position of hindsight. It comes from my desire to see the millennial generation succeed. I want those who are single, I want those who are single parents, I want the youth to succeed. But most importantly, I believe it comes from a place of the Holy Spirit. Joel chapter 2 says this, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. I want you to understand what this prophecy is about. This prophecy relates to the new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ. Number one, Joel is speaking about what God is going to do through Jesus Christ. After the resurrection, he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. And what is God doing? Pay attention to what God's doing, speaking to Jews. And what he's saying is this, I'm going to break the racial divide. And I am going to pour out my spirit on every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And they will all stand under my name. I will give value to where there is no value right now in regards to the cultures of the world. And how will I give this value? By pouring out of my spirit. Now, it's very important to focus on that word being poured out. Because that word poured out. Can you answer my phone and tell them I'm not here? Okay. Okay. Let, let's, let's get it together, Tamara, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So listen. So uh, I'm just messing with you, Tamara. We love you. This message is for you, girl. Okay. <laughs> so uh, stop, Carlos. Stop while you're ahead. So this word poured out. This word poured out, it actually means gush out. God was going to add value to different culture and to different people groups by gushing out, by spending himself over people. Female and male servants, the Bible says. This is what God was going to do through his Holy Spirit. He was going to do it, and he was going to add value. He was going to gush it out. And notice one of the manifestations of this is that it brings unity. Old men will dream dreams, and young men will have visions. This, is, this relates to both men and women. And what does that mean? And I want you to know that the dreams and the visions are not two separate things. They're supposed to be lived together. I want you to focus on this here. Old men dream dreams, and young men see visions, and we tend to kind of divide the old and the young. But that, this prophecy is not fulfilled unless there's unity. Because there's a stage in life where someone recognizes I am old and I'm past a certain stage and there's certain things that I will not do, will be able to do, but I have a dream of what could be. I have a dream of what could be. And there are those here prophetically who will receive dreams of things that they will not be able to do. But young people will have a vision of things God called them to do, right? And they won't necessarily know how to fulfill that vision because they haven't walked in the steps of the old men. But if the old men and women have a dream and they partner with the young who have a vision, 
then God can do mighty things. You understand what I'm saying today? So when I, when I realized I had, I had to come to the conclusion, my God, I'm a, I need to repent. I've had the wrong attitude about the millennial generation. Because the reality is, is that I still believe that I'm young enough to do many things. And no matter how old you are, you're young enough to do many things. But I realize there's certain things that I will not be able to do. But I have a dream of what could be for those who are Mitchell and Gideon's age. For those who are Elijah's age and Emilio's age. For those who are new in their marriage or young in their marriage. Starting in their parenting. I, want a dream of what, I have a dream of what could be. And instead of departing, what the church needs to do is instead of departing from the next generation, we need to start imparting in the next generation. Are you with me? Instead of departing and saying, this is why this generation got it all messed up. This is why this generation is lazy. This is why this generation is not like the industrial generation. We need to let go of the past and say, God, give me a heart to impart what you've given me in the next generation. Church, it's got to stop. And we got to confess it. Every generation does it. We point the finger on why the genera- next generation is wrong. Let me tell you something. They have something you didn't get right. The truth is, is every generation rebels because there was a need the generation before never met. Ask the baby boomer generation how often their father was at home from the industrial generation. Right? There's a failure in every generation. And every generation, when it comes to the church, every generation, God calls old men, old, old people, in spiritually speaking, meaning wise people, those that will receive his dreams for the generation to come that will partner with young people who have a vision and make that a reality. I have to get to the point where we repent. Say, Jesus, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Now, right now, let's get back to pastoral advice. I'd like to take my cue from Paul, who after giving a lot of hard pastoral advice to the Corinthian church, he said this, Working, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, working together with him, with God. Now, want, notice, as co-workers, what that means is I am laboring with God in the plan that God has for your life. As I partner with God, not because God needs me, but because he delights in me working with him, I'm working with him on his plan for your life. Working together as co-workers of God, we appeal to you, do not receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. The next slide. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. Number one, Paul is working with God, ministering to the Corinthians church, not Paul's plans, but God's plan for the church. Second, he said, you can receive God's grace. You know, it's very possible to receive God's grace and yet receive it in vain. It could be received in vain. How do we receive God's grace in vain? By not allowing the grace of God, by hindering the grace of God from completing his work and changing our lives. This is what the grace of God does. It comes into our lives and it saves us. Right? It does radical work by giving us a new heart and awakening us us to the Holy Spirit of God. But the grace of God also calls us to partner. Right? To partner. So now I not only expect the grace of God to do the work by itself, but I partner with that grace by not letting, not hindering the Holy Spirit to finish the work in me. 
right? And then Paul says this, says this, because God's grace is being poured out now, just like Joel says, I'm pouring out my spirit on, all, on, on, on male and female servants, multicultural deal. God's pouring out his spirit on everyone. Say, now that you receive this, man, don't take it for granted. Understand, right now is the day of God's favor, a prophecy in Isaiah of what God was going to do, right? Right now, God is showing favor to you. You know that today. You know that right now, God wants to bless your socks off. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to pour out his spirit on you. And now is the day of salvation. You know what that means? Every day, God wants to draw you closer to him until the day that you see him face to face. Right? Isn't that incredible? Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of favor. So he says, don't take it for granted. So then, since God's salvation and favor are working for us now, how should we live our lives? And I want to talk to you today. If you're a young person, okay, if you guys want to live your life sold out for God, okay, even this applies to all of us. We want to live our lives sold out for God. If we want to make the, the best of our youth, if we want to make the best of our, where we're at this stage in our lives, number one, we need to live aware of the fact that we're valuable to the kingdom of God. You're valuable to the kingdom of God. God values you. He values you. When it comes to those who are single, it's so incredible what the Bible says, and it's so incredible the issue that exists in the church today. I feel like the church doesn't give value to single people, culturally speaking. And I find it to be troublesome because the, because the greatest people that ever lived were single people, right? I mean, some of the greatest work were done by, like, some great people who were single, right? Paul was single, and he said in 1 Corinthians 7, it's better that you're not single, that you're not married. Because then your full devotion can be focused on the Lord. And you don't have divided interest. A married man has to focus on the Lord and his wife, and he's got to balance that out. And so does a wife. You know, she's got to balance that out. And it keeps them from being completely, fully devoted. And he says, I'm not saying that to condemn those who are married, because some of y'all can't handle it. I'm some of y'all. Glory to God. Praise God. Right? And I'm very happy where I'm at. I'm not resentful over it. But that doesn't keep me from being excited about what God want, wants to do with single people. Reality of the matter is single people can do more because they have more time. You know, I hang out with some young adults that are not married. And, you know, and, and, and they're excited about Jesus. And they're like, hey, you want to pray? Hey, can we do this? Can we go witness? Can we do this? I can't. And you can look at it in their eyes. They're like, I don't understand. Why can't you? It's like, I got four reasons. My <laughs> wife and my three daughters. I wish I could be with you, but how, how many of y'all know that if I gave myself to full ministry all the time and left my home alone, it'd be a problem, right? Rebecca would have the anointing of the Holy Ghost to roundhouse kick me in the name <laughs> of Jesus, right? I mean, right? I just can't do it, right? But single people can. They can do things that I cannot do. I'm not resentful. I want to encourage them. Sell out for Jesus. Be aware that you're valuable. Paul was extremely valuable. Without Paul, we wouldn't know how to live the life without the letters he wrote. Have you ever heard of Corey and Betsy Ten Boom? Huh? So check this out. Corey and, and, and Betsy Ten Booms are sisters of a family that took care of kids with handicaps, people with handicaps and disability during the Nazis. Now, the Nazis were people who wanted to exterminate all people that were not 
basically white. They felt everybody who was not white had a problem, especially handicapped, disabled people. So basically what they did is they would hide people and care for people in their home until they got caught by the Nazis. They were persecuted by their faith. They, Corey and Betsy were both single all the days of their lives, right? And Betsy, as she was dying, said, there is no pit on earth that's deeper than my God, right? And when she was res- when they were rescued from the Nazi camp, guess what Corey Ten Boom did? Opened up her home again to take care of the disabled. It's a mighty woman of God. She's one of my favorite heroes of the faith, right? And I don't know if you heard of this guy, but he did a lot of it. He, he broke chains. He gave sight to the blind, right? He set the captives free. I don't know if you heard of the name of Jesus. Anybody heard of the name of Jesus here and excited about him? Amen? He did great things. God values you. God values you. Second, now to us, we're married folk. And uh, most of us who are here, who are a different stage in life, God also values you. And if you don't value yourself, it's gonna, you're going to be incapable of imparting what God's given you to others. You've got to value yourself in order to give an impartation to the next generation. You, you get home and watch The War Room. Anybody seen the movie The War Room? Now that woman, she knew, she knows what it's about. She was ready to impart what God had given her into somebody else. I highly recommend, get the movie War Room if you haven't watched it. God needs you to impart what he has given you to others. The next generation is in desperate need of it. Second, let me, let me share this with you. Second thing. Oh, I think this is good for us married folk too. But for our single people here today and our youth today, I want you to hear this. Only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies. I bought into the lie that the reason why there was an internal struggle and lack of satisfaction in my life was because I wasn't married. At one point in my life, I bought into the lie that I was incomplete because I didn't have a girl to call my boo. Anybody with me? I didn't have a girl to call my boo. You get it? My girl. My baby. I'm old school. I'm from the 90s. I'm not from, I'm not, right? I didn't have, I didn't have that in my life. And so I felt that that was the reason why I was incomplete. But I'm going to give you the reason why I was incomplete. Ready? It's deep and profound. My devotional sucked. I didn't have a devotional relationship with Jesus. And because I didn't have a devotional relationship with Jesus, I was looking to be satisfied in a relationship at one point in my life. Are you with me? The greatest advice somebody gave me in my marriage is this, before I got married. Your wife will never meet your needs. Do not buy into that lie. If you do, you're going to have false expectations on her. Only Jesus satisfies. 
And I can tell you as a pastor who has done marital counseling over and over again, 100% of the time where someone tells me she completes me, I've come to faith because of her, uh, I, uh, he, is, he is the one for me, he satisfied 100% of the time that marriage has not made it. 100% of the time without fail. 22 years. Be careful. No person will complete you other than Jesus. Be completed in Jesus by having a real devotional life with him. And as you understand that only he satisfies, then walk into a relationship. That makes sense. Anybody with me? Anybody with me? Only, number three, only Jesus heals. Some would say, well, Pastor, why are you spending so much time on only Jesus satisfied? We're all married. We all know this. I'll tell you why. Because sometimes in marriage, I forget that. I forget that only Jesus fulfills. Only Jesus satisfies completely. Now, my wife is wonderful. I love her. And God has created her in such a way that she does meet certain needs. But she doesn't, you know, she's not my satisfaction. The Lord is. You need to hear that. And we got to be careful not to set false expectations on our wives, on our spouses. Why? Because God's still working on them like he's working on us. Only Jesus heals. I can't tell you how many times I hear somebody say, and it's dangerous, you know, go into a relationship because they're looking for protection. They're looking for someone to speak life into them. They're looking for somebody to come in and to make right the things that have done, been done wrong in their lives. That's another false expectation. It's just false. Do not go to others for healing. Go to Jesus. If death has been spoken to you, go to the one who speaks life. If people have been unfaithful to you, go to the one whose word never changes and who's always faithful. Go to Jesus for healing. If you go to somebody else, you know what's going to happen? They're saints. They love God, but they're going to make a mistake, right? And when they don't meet your expectations, you're going you're gonna to put on them all of the offenses that were committed against you. Then all of a sudden, those hurts are going to be multiplied. People do that in church all the time. That's why they don't enter into accountable relationships. Why? Because they come to church, they expect people to be completely perfect, and this church offers me the protection that I need and the healing, and they all speak life, and they're all saints, and none of them sins, and they walk on cloud nine. It's incredible. And then when the reality hits, then we put on the church all of the offenses and all of the hurt of the past that we haven't gotten healed from, and we go to another church until it happens again. We go to another church until it happens again. We go to another church and it happens again. Cycle's never broken. Why? Because we never turn to Jesus for healing. Are you with me today? Only Jesus heals. Only Jesus heals. Don't expect, we shouldn't expect our relationships or a new relationship to bring healing to our lives. Let's expect God to do that. Okay, 
Four. On the fourth thing, I'm flying through this. We're going to live a life that is taking advantage of God's favor and God's salvation. We got to learn to do hard things now. There's a saying among young people today, go hard or go home. I was, I'm going to tell you what. I don't know how to switch gears, right? So at camp, when we're doing all these activities, there was this deal where you have these flags that you got to catch, and they show up at weird places, no matter what you're doing, at random times. And the team captains, the first three that tag the flag, you know, they, they get points. And um, I'm highly competitive, right? If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down, but I'm going to go down with a fight. No matter, I just don't know how to play easy. I just play hard, right? That's just the way that I am. And so is Monica. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Monica had to be a part of a watermelon eating contest. That, that lady got down. I won. Uh, she won. I'm talking about there's a dude that was like 300 pounds next to her, right? Like there's some big dudes. That, and she is like, people are like, other teams are like, dang, Monica. Mon-. I was like, girl, your Mexican roots came out. You ate that. <laughs> you ate that one. We needed, we needed some points. We needed some points. She brought us up, right? So, you know, these flags were coming, and I'm hustling. And, I mean, I'm walking like this, right, like hurting. But as soon as I see that flag, I'm like, I'm getting it, right? In life for Jesus, we got to learn to go hard or go home. We got to start doing hard things now. Perseverance. Let me give you the definition of perseverance. Persistence in anything undertaken. Continued pursuit or prosecution of anything, of any business or enterprise begun. In theology, is continuing in grace to a state of glory. Now, I want you to notice this because I had a deceptive deal about grace. I thought grace was easy. Grace is hard. God saves you, redeems you. It is a gift, but to live grace, it's hard. To live in it, I have to continue in it, and I have to persevere. And here's the deal about perseverance. It means that I want to quit. You're not persevering until you take the next step after you think, I want to quit right now. That's when it's perseverance. When you're doing crunches, right, and you're like, this is from the devil himself, right? Until you get the thought, I want to quit, you haven't persevered. When temptation comes and it's screaming, right, and you're persevering under pressure, Right? You want to give up? You want to surrender? That's when you know you're persevering. When you're fasting, and, and I say it all the time, a rotten banana looks like filet mignon to you, that's when perseverance kicks in. That's when God begins to do his greatest work in our lives. Here's the problem. Another lie that I bought into as a Christian. For some reason I thought that I would know that I'm a mature Christian when things became easy, when I was stable and witnessing came easy and flowing in the gifts of the Spirit came easy and holding people accountable came easy. And, you know, because it seemed like these people who do this, they talk about it like it's just, you know, spreading butter on a piece of toast, right? 
No. The maturity is not about things becoming easy. Maturity is about bearing fruit. And there's nothing easy about bearing fruit. It's a conflict all the way through. There's nothing more rewarding than bearing fruit. There's nothing more satisfactory than bearing fruit. But ain't nothing about bearing fruit easy. Nothing easy about resisting pornography in this age. Right? Anybody with me? Nothing easy about witnessing at any given moment. Nothing easy about trusting the Holy Spirit when he gives you a crazy word to give to somebody. Right? There's nothing easy about yielding in our marriage and learning to honor our spouses. There's nothing easy about having accountable relationships which you'll need if you're ever going to bear fruit. There's nothing easy about Matthew 18. What's Matthew 18? Confront someone. Don't, don't just walk away from conflict. Conflict needs to be had. Deal with the offense. There's nothing easy about the Christian life. Bearing fruit has nothing to do with ease. But there's no greater delight than bearing fruit. One of the greatest disappointments that I've experienced in the last 13 years living in Toledo, Ohio, it, it, it came with a great high. And it was at the Ackerman's home. They used to have these peach trees. I don't even like peaches, right? I'm not a fan of peaches. But these peach trees were old and they were mature. And Gary gave me a peach from, it, from his peach tree. That thing was better than any steak I ever had. I'm talking, that peach fell off that seed into my mouth, watery and juicy. I don't even like peaches. That thing was amazing. It was incredible. Now, what was disappointing? One of the kids sprayed pesticide on the trees, and they were dead. Whatever. I don't, even, I don't know anything about gardening. You, you know this by now, right? And killed the trees. I was so heartbroken. Best peach I had in my life, and I'll never have it again, right? I've forgiven that youth, but I'm still going through healing, so don't judge me, right? Nothing, those trees went through storms. Those trees developed roots. And you know what roots are? John Bevere so, so graciously pointed out, when a tree is growing roots and spreading its root, it's because it's looking for water. It's in a desperate state. You know how many people bail out of churches and a church life because they're in a desperate state? Do you know that sometimes desperate states is what God uses to bear fruit in your life? Right. <laughs> We're going to close with this. Well, just two more things. If we're going to be people who are used in the kingdom, we got to learn to be teachable. I used to think that teachable was being at a state where I recognize I don't know everything. That's part of being teachable. Part of being teachable is recognizing that you don't know, that you know that you don't know everything. How many of us know that we don't know everything? Amen. Good for you. Most of the world is teachable in that way. Do you know what's another part of being teachable? Admitting that you're wrong. I find that there's a lot of people who are teachable in the sense that they know that they don't know everything. 
but I find that there are very, very few people who are willing to admit that they're wrong, especially in the Christian walk. When it comes to discipleship and accountability and someone says, I've been doing life with you and I see this character flaw. Those things aren't easy. There are very few people. Psalm 36 says this. We go to that verse. Can we show that? I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. That's what not being teachable is. I'm going to flatter myself too much about how good I am to the point that I'm not going to detect the flaws in me that don't reflect the kingdom. And just in case you were wondering, we're all in that boat. Unless we have accountable relationships that bring those things out and we give them permission to speak into our lives. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to open ourselves up to everybody to speak into our lives. Amen? we got to be teachable. And then the last thing I want to share with you, we have to hate spiritual hustle. I want you to, want you to hear it from me. we got to hate spiritual hustle. It's like some people come to church, and immediately, you know, the way we do church is what I call a spiritual hustle. And I'm not talking about the dance, Okay. Well, get John Travolta out of your mind right now. I'm talking about spiritual hustle. And what does that mean? What is spiritual hustle? Using Scripture to justify disobedience. Using Scripture to justify not obeying the commands of God. You know who does that really well? Satan. You know whose spirit is influencing us when we do that? Satan. When we say, well, I know I'm living in sin, but God works all things for good. Satan, right? It, it's sin. When, when, when uh, let me just give you some examples. When we say, well, I'm not going to tithe, but God knows my heart. Well, there's conflict, so instead of dealing with it, Matthew, tw Matthew 18, I'll just walk away and give it to God. don't know how many times. Hey, have you gone to them before going to me? Well, I just decided that it was best if I just gave it to God. Best for who? It ain't best for me as a pastor, because that person has that flaw, but God's not given me the ability to address it, but he's given it to you because the offense committed to you, but everybody who's been offended at this person. Uh, let me just give you an example. Let's say Brother Michael, which I'm telling you what, most gracious, one of the most gracious individuals I know. But I'm just using it as an example. Yes, Brother Mike. Let's say Brother Mike was speaking negatively about a bunch of people, which he's never done, not to me. Um, maybe to Ben, but not to me. But let's say, let's say he was doing that, and people kept coming up to me and saying, Oh, Pastor, oh, Pastor, Mike said this, you know, but I'm going to forgive him. And I said, Well, why don't you go tell Mike? Well, you know, I just decided to give it to God. And Robbie comes up to me, same thing. Oh, I decided to give it to God. Oh, I decided to give it to God. You know what you've done? You failed your brother. He's seeking relationships, and what people are doing is isolating themselves from him. He'll never grow, and you'll never grow. Don't make easy things, simple things, more difficult than they are. 
Here's another one. I don't need accountability. I don't need relationships. I got the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. And, and this is a killer in the Pentecostal church. I have to say it. Prophets without covering. I, I want you to know, I never let someone prophesy here who I don't know that they have a covering. And if they go ahead and speak a word, I, I often, I make sure that it lines up. But I don't allow people to establish a ministry here who have no covering. I'll tell you why. Because I believe that someone without covering and accountability is not fit to minister to anybody in the church. How can you minister to someone when you're living in rebellion? Not the Spirit of God. You know you're strong and mature Christian, not when you avoid the storms and when you avoid conflict again, but when you're willing to bear fruit. We got to learn to hate spiritual hustle if we're going to grow in the Lord. And now I want you to just pray, Lord, is there any area in my life where I'm just, I'm using Scripture to justify my disobedience? Would you stand with me? If God's going to use us no matter what generation we're in, we got to value ourselves. We got to go to Jesus for healing. We got to go to Jesus for satisfaction. Right? We got to learn to be teachable before Him. We got to learn to avoid spiritual hustle. And we got to learn to do the hard thing now. I'm not going to lie to you, as I was preparing this message, I realized there were some hard things I was avoiding. The Lord was convicting me, hey, there's some hard things you're avoiding. I need you to deal right now. I need you to deal with them right now. So I don't know where you're at in life, but even right now, maybe the Lord is showing you that there are some hard things you need to deal with now. Let's do it. Let's do it. Just in the area of witnessing, somebody said to me, Pastor, I've been in church for 20 years. I don't know how to witness. Hey, what do you mean you don't know how to witness? I don't know what to tell somebody. Well, just tell somebody something. Tell them something. Begin somewhere. There's no real formula how to witness. There's no real steps. Share with Je people what Jesus has done in your life and ask them if they want to have a relationship with him. However, the word of God says that the Holy Spirit will give you the words that you need. Right? The thing is, is that most of us think that we'll know how to witness when it doesn't feel so awkward. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be awkward sometimes. It's just the way that it is. I remember a friend of mine would go witnessing, and boy, did he make mistakes saying stuff, but his heart was right. And I think God was pleased. Remember one time he says, man, I went up to Chuck, and I said to Chuck, I said to Chuck, hey man, no matter what people say about you, Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for your life. Chuck looked at me and said, what are people saying about me, man? What you trying to say, man? It's like, my bad, man. That just came out the wrong way. <laughs> and we just got to go out there and do it. We got to do it. Now is the time. Now I know this is a different crowd here. In, in a sense that um, some of these things apply more to a, a different generation. But there's something 
that I want to challenge you right now. Number one, are you going to do the hard thing now? Number two, do you want to have the kind of heart and attitude that is willing to impart in the next generation? You're willing to give. Not out of a place of authority necessarily, but a place of service from a servant heart and a listening ear. This generation needs you. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads with me. You're saying, Pastor, there are points in this message that deal with me right now. Points where I realize I'm taking God's grace for granted, but I want to give it to God right now. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for those who have raised their hands. And I thank you, God, for your presence being with them. God, that you would uh, give the old men dreams and give the young vision what it would look like not to take your grace for granted right now. Whether it be because they need to do some hard things or because they need to be teachable or because they need to impart or find their value in you, God, in the name of Jesus right now. In the name of Jesus right now. Do a mighty work in their lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I want to be a person who is pouring out myself like Paul did to Timothy. I want to engage in that. And I want to repent of a negative attitude that I may have had towards the millennial generation. But I just want to be a person who out of a servant's heart and a listening ear and an encouraging attitude, I speak life into others. If that's you, would you come to the altar right now? Would you come to the altar right now? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God depends on those who say, I want to be imparting. I want to impart. Not necessarily coming to the altar because you need someone to pray for you. You're just coming to the altar to come before God and say, God, reveal to me how to be a person that imparts wisdom, imparts love, adds value, gives a voice and a platform to the next generation. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, God. Yes, God. I don't, I don't typically do this from the altar. Um, I, I really sense the Lord calling me to do this. Miss Glenda, you have a lot to impart to the next generation. And I just want to I believe, led by the Holy Spirit, God, God has... There are children, there are people who need you to impart, and you have a gracious heart that God's given you to impart to the next generation. So I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, Father, that you will give her a revelation of her worth, that you will give her a revelation of her value in the kingdom right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I just speak it right now. 
and we just cancel the lies of the enemy. The time is not over. It's just beginning of impartation, God, in our life. We just thank you right now. We thank you right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. The altars are open. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you. Just remain here and just continue to pray before the Lord if that's, if, if that's what you like. And you don't need prayer. You just want to be before God. I welcome you to come up. God bless you. Have a good day.